Welcome back to the show. My name's Dylan Grouse. Alongside me, as always, we got Chris Jackson. And today's show, we have a very good one for you. We have some stunning news that happened out of College Park. Their head coach and their athletic director have been suspended for two games. Now, Chris is more on the story. Chris, what do you know about that situation? And what is your take on it? I have my take on it, but let's hear your opinion first because you have the story. So let me go into the news first and then my opinion about that. So it was, for those of you that haven't heard already, last week, or I guess the week prior to last week, so I guess two games ago now at this point, because we're this is Wednesday, we're recording on Wednesday, November 2nd. So this was, I think they played October 21st. This game against Ignacio Valley, they won 84-0. Head coach Travis Cicini and their athletic director each suspended two games, so they served in one game. Already last week, Travis Rossetti could not coach in that senior night game on Friday. He still could participate in some senior night festivities. So he was still there. He just could not coach. But the thing was, here's the reasoning from the district and what they told the Mercury News as to what happened and why they were suspended. There were multiple excessive celebration penalties and going for two-point conversion while at 47 nothing. In one quote also, where's the human side at all of this? You can run plays between the tackles. You don't have to run screen passes. Winning should be done in a respectful way. The thing here is College Park won 84 nothing, but every single one of, I believe there are eight, 45 players, I mean, appeared in this game. Ignacio Valley only has 19 players. College Park just put up, they didn't run a whole lot of plays, but they scored on a lot of those plays end up winning 84 nothing against a very, very young Ignacio Valley team that's got – it's pretty much all underclassmen on that roster, freshmen and sophomores, but it's it's a ton of freshmen on that Ignacio Valley roster and College Park won 84 nothing. but the suspensions. College Park did secure a, at least a share of a DAL Valley title last week with that win with their head coach suspended, so it is a really special season. Our College Park hasn't kind of had this type of success in a while either – is probably some background you need to know. So last year they were one game away from winning league, but before that college park, you might think of them as being great at different sports in the in recent years, right? Baseball's been obviously electrifying throughout the years. They've had other great sports come and go through that through that school. Football's had some talent, some teams. They haven't quite been at this level for quite some time. So it's the celebrations, kids getting unfortunately there was the excessive celebration penalties is what the district and superintendent cited as that and going for two. I've been around College Park's program. Here's my opinion. I've been around their program. I've been to their practices. They do things the right way. Travis Rossetti, he's, he's a former NFL player. He's actually a College Park alum. He leads that program now. They do things the right way. I've seen them get mad at players for celebrating in practice and just trying to be disciplined. They Obviously, have fun, right? You're supposed to have fun while playing the sport, of course. I think every coach would agree with that. But they've done things the right way. I was out of practice in the spring, so I remember where I'm not going to mention or disclose what this was. It was not. It was a non-football-related injury, but the kid, unfortunately, was dealing with some medical stuff, had to get help to leave practice. Coach handled it probably as best as I could have seen anybody. And some of their young students that were also medical, like, you know, the student trainers and student medical people, they were having a hard time with it because they realized, like, oh, this is, like, really happening. Like, they're dealing with something pretty serious. You could tell it's just kind of like one of those things where they're kind of shocked by it. So, obviously, the coach makes sure everybody's okay before they continue anything, making sure, like, let's rise up, let's rally, let's go for our teammate. I know everything's good there now. 
it was just non-football related thing the kid had dealt with in the past medically that yeah. just ended up I guess kind of happening on the practice field but I've seen them run things the way they do it I know it's not a good look with some of the stuff I understand that I I have seen them do things the right way so I know my opinion more is this is not a program that is not built on class. They are a program that's built on class and good foundations and all of that stuff too. And it's a lot of things too that I've seen them do it the right way. And what it's hard to tell kids not to score, especially for some of these kids, when you play all 45, 44, how many players you have on your own roster, kids eventually get to play. That's a big opportunity for them. If you're not starting, you're not getting a whole lot of reps, you get a chance to score. That's a great time for everybody involved because, you know, your teammates are excited for you when you get that first touchdown and maybe your varsity career this season. That's always a fun moment. And you're always taught to be competitive to score. That's what I was taught growing up. Maybe, maybe I just see it from a different viewpoint. I understand the different viewpoints of it. I get that. We all have different ones, but I was just raised on if you've got the ball, you got to at least try and score, especially if you don't play a whole lot. And it, that, especially if there's a running clock anyway, I don't think it matters if you throw the ball or not. At least, maybe don't try Hail Marys like you might try Madden all the time, but I don't think it matters if you throw the ball a whole lot anyway yeah. when you're up big and there's a running clock because no matter what, if that ball touches the ground, the clock's still running. So it really yeah. doesn't doesn't matter a whole lot. If you're running screens, slants, whatever, I don't think that's – it's not affecting the clock. You're just getting some of these kids reps and letting them enjoy the game. I think that suspending a coach for winning a game that much when you're the object of the game of the game is to score, it's kind of harsh. The reason why I say that is because – like you said, you're playing a team that's young and not as experienced, and you're trying to get your players on on the team that you are coaching, like playing time, right? So if you're scoring a lot of points in a game, it's kind of hard to sometimes stop scoring because you're playing a sport that you're trying to score and run the clock out and everything, right? So, I mean, maybe the excessive celebration thing, it makes sense, but why suspend a coach if he's just doing his job? I just think that it's hard to really justify playing in a game where, you know, you're trying to like, what kind of message does that send to the players that never play? Like, you know, you're getting into a game for the first time you score a touchdown and you get your coach suspended because you're running up the score. I just think that sends a bad message to the players. I think that that's, you know, not a good look for the league i think it's just tough to really justify a suspension of a coach especially when you're doing your job so it, it is it definitely is i understand ignacio valley's coach being upset you've also got to stick up too. for your kids you've got to stick up for your kids right you're not you're probably not being a good leader if you don't stick up for your kids so that their coach they publicly said he's not happy about getting beat like that and right he, every right to feel like that heck if i were their coach to be honest with you with the opinion i'd probably feel the same way you yeah. get beat 84 nothing you got a lot of young kids you're watching other team celebrate that freaking sucks any competitor anybody would admit that i'm pretty much guarantee that right and it, it sucks you got to stick up for your team you got to stick up for your kids as well just that's that's leadership right there i, I think it's just a good learning i guess lesson for everybody because like maybe if you're up 77 nothing now the stock creeps up into your head, I guess. Of, okay, how, how do we make it look a little bit better? Make the other team not feel as bad about this because maybe they just don't have the numbers and stuff like that. But at the same time, it, it's just hard to tell kids not to score, not try to go to the end zone of the score. And just... Let me ask you this. If you are in that situation, 
if you now know that you could get suspended for running up the score, how do you play a game now trying not to do that? Do you purposely, you know, stop the ball at the one like Todd Gurley was supposed to do back in 2020? You know, not score a touchdown when you're, you know, do you I think that's, I think that's how more, you, yeah, it's just hard, you that's know, that's almost more disrespectful to me. I think it that's is. more disrespectful. Like, you can't blame the team for scoring touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, who's playing or what, what if you run a play and you don't get stopped? It's not your fault. You know, you're just playing, you're, right. you're just doing your job. And, and who knows, maybe for some of these, if that's the kids' big opportunity where exactly. they kind of dream of finally scoring, maybe that turned out to be great film and they show, their opportunity in front of those coaches. Maybe they've shown some stuff in practice, but now they show stuff in a game. Hey, maybe this kid should play more. There's a lot of different scenarios that go into it. You get some better film out of it, but you also show your coaches, yeah, I can perform in these situations at these levels. You get that chance and you make the most of it. it it's just, I think yeah. it's more disrespectful if you don't try and score and you just start going out there and sliding at the one. Yes, and I, yeah, I think I'm, just, I'm not for that. I if I'm an opposing coach, I would almost rather lose 84. I would almost rather get killed in that situation, in that instance, than have a team purposely try to like stop scoring because then it 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 allows you to really see what what work you need to improve on, right? Yep. Like if if you yes. see the scores, if you see the plays that you get scored on. It allows you as a coach to really tell the team, okay, this is where we had issues and this is what we need to improve on next game. I think it really allows you to really see the holes you have. And in the long term, it helps you get better as a team. So I do yes. think that a loss and that it, it that bad, while it is embarrassing every now and then, I I get that. It's helpful because it helps to it helps develop the players. I think a lot. Yeah, and and now a lot of these younger guys. I know Ignacio Valley is very young. Use this as a most as a motivational tool. Use yeah. this, make this have you go into the weight room condition all the time in the off season. Make yeah. that practice you had on Monday, and I guess these last couple of weeks let that motivate you. And don't forget that. I know it sucks, but don't forget it. Let that motivate. Anytime you don't think of going, think about heck eighty four nothing. No, we can't stop. Let this motivate you. Let this drive you up every single day and make this be a big winter of conditioning and weight room stuff, workout, run outside, lift weights, push-ups, everything you can. And then next year, maybe you start winning some of these games. You get closer, then you just keep going up and up and you keep climbing. If you do it the right way, I think I think you let's just, just let this motivate your kids, especially young ones too. Yep. Now, speaking of coaches, we have a new we have other News that came out, Pittsburgh's head coach is stepping down at the end of the season after 20-plus seasons at the helm. Wow. That, to me, surprising a little bit. But, Chris, what is your take on that? Victor Galley is one of those coaches that's been there. He's won so many ball games. He's their all-time leader and wins. And Pittsburgh's got a great history of football. That's a football city through and through. They've had a lot of Division One players, NFL players, everything else come through. They've got a few on this roster, I think, won't just play in college, but will also go to the NFL. Victor yeah. Galley's coached 21 years. You think of just Bay Area coaching Mount Rushmore. He's up there, right? Bob Latticer, all those decades at Davis, what he did the streak. Kevin Macy's in there. Matt Sweeney, all those years. He had a foothill. Bergen from Vista. I mean, the list goes on and on of just some of these coaches that are on Mount Rushmore. Galley's up there. 21 years, they've already won 14 league titles in the BVAL. They won NCS last year for the first time in three decades, beat Clayton Valley to win an NCSD1 title. 
they just keep doing it. And you can't blame guys coach for so long. He's still going to teach, but coaching takes up a lot of time. And, and it's definitely, especially out here, it's not, you're not getting paid the same as in other States, right? It's a lot of time for, it's just the love of the game. And he's done so many great things for that community gives back a lot to that community. He did a lot of great stuff actually during COVID there was a great story on that. Actually, I think it was Darren Tobedro, I want to say, wrote that story or something where he, he and his son were doing some great stuff to give back. But it's he's done so many things, given back to those kids, provided a lot of kids great opportunities. And this year, again, their roster, look at what they've got. They've got – they just had their fifth D1 commitment in this 2023 class today. Edge rusher Adairo Kaka committed to Southern Utah. You've also got – four-star quarterback Jaden Rashada going to Miami. You've got that receiver Rashid Williams, a four-star going to Washington. You've got that receiver Zachary Card going to Oregon State. you got athlete Kai Taylor going to Nevada. you got a couple of other 2023 kids with offers. Robin Boyd's got offers. He's a cornerback with offers from Portland State and Southern Utah. You've got, guess what, another receiver with Division One offers. Keenan Higgins has Arizona State, BYU, Colorado State, Fresno State, Pittsburgh, Washington State 2025 class has the number 18 prospect in the entire country. Safety, Jaden Hudson's got 17 offers. Charlie Taufa's got a Florida Atlantic offer. You've got an edge rusher and Joellis Walls. That's got Cal and San Jose State offers. You look at what Galley's just producing every year. They, there's a reason why they keep winning. Reason why they keep turning out, guys, it's because of him and his assistants and how much time they've invested into that program. They're Pittsburgh through and through. You go to a practice, you go to a game, you see why Pittsburgh football is the way it is, and Victor Galley's a big reason why. So is the next coach, would you say, an in-house assistant already, or are they hiring outside of that team? You know, it, I think it probably comes from their staff with the assistants they've got. They've got that great experience. Their defensive coordinator, Charlie Ramirez, is a guy – if I were a lot of other programs, I would have tried to get him just because of the way he coaches schematically, the way he develops players is great. Associate head coach there and everything else. Ramirez is a guy I could definitely see being the next head coach there. Of course, that's for that's a Pittsburgh high school decision, but I would at least think he's near the top of that list. So if, how I, I think they're going to stay in house. Yeah, and would you now? How do you say the team? Fairs going into 2023 with a new coach are they still a team that is a threat in their in their in their league or are they taking a step back with the new system that they're gonna have to learn most likely in terms of coaching? i know they're gonna have a lot of seniors graduating but it's pittsburgh they're gonna keep really with this yeah. coaching staff yep they're gonna keep circulating it's a great football town a lot of these kids get started young but it's also a coaching staff that's developed you guys i don't see that changing with whether that's ramirez Another coach taking over. I still think they're the class. They'll be a little younger at the top next year. But what did I just mention with some of those sophomores they've got? That's a star-studded class, too. This is kind yeah. of the way we thought about this 2023 class when they were sophomores a couple of years ago, right before that COVID season. I still think Pittsburgh will be the team to beat in that league. And if you've won 14 league titles in 21 years, I'm one of those people that has to see it to believe it. Like, we'll get into that De La Salle-Clayton Valley matchup in a minute, but I still have to be someone that sees it to believe it for somebody to beat De La Salle on NCS. I know other teams have, but I'm I'm very much that see it to believe it kind of person. In most instances, I know I get off that, but I still think Pittsburgh would be the favorite, at least these next couple of years. Maybe things change. I like what Liberty's got with its new head coach. They've got some young talent. All Honestly, all of these counties got a lot of young talent and good coaches coming up. 
Heritage is still going to be good with their coaching staff. Even though they lose some seniors, they've got some young guys coming up. Antioch's got a good coaching staff. Deer Valley's got some young guys coming up. They've got a first-year head coach that's building that culture. Freedom's got talent going through there. Solid coaches as well. But I, it's still Pittsburgh, the team that beats on me. Yeah. Well, that was that's an interesting turn of events happening in that, in that neck of the woods now. You met you mentioned Clayton Valley and De La Salle. That is going to be a game that's tough to predict because both teams are really good. Both teams are six and three going into the last game of the of the of the regular season. But both teams have not lost in the league. I guess De La Salle is not in a league, but they're two and zero in the league that they're technically a part of. If you if you consider that, and Clayton Valley is also undefeated in league, and this is considered a league game. So. What do you think? Is this going to go Clayton Valley's way? I know Clayton Valley is getting hot. I know they've started to win a lot. But De La Salle is De La Salle. I can't bet against it, De La Salle. Like you said, like it's very hard to bet against them until you really see a team beat them. And, you know, I know they've lost, but they've lost to good teams. So I don't know. What do you think about this matchup on Saturday or on, or on Friday night? Yeah, now that I've seen it happen, I have no problems picking some NorCal teams to beat De La Salle, right? They lost to Sarah national TV. Again, though, Sarah's nationally ranked now in the top 25 by Max Preps. I think he was there today as well. Very well deserved there too. Folsom's another one of those top programs that is just, it's, it's a factory out there in the Sacramento region. Now St. Mary's of Stockton's a really good program that, None of those are bad losses. I don't, in fact, that's probably only motivated De La Salle more. If you've got to play a motivated De La Salle, I know they've dealt with injuries. You know, like, that's always a scary thought, just De La Salle being motivated. But Clayton Valley's hungry, too. Clayton Valley's won five in a row. They're hot. They just put up four, 55 points last week to beat Monta Vista 55-6. to six. They beat Santa Monica Valley in this stretch. To begin the stretch, they also beat Jesuit out in Carmichael. That was Jesuit's first loss of the year when it started out 5-0. and You got to think, too, there was – they changed their offense. I already mentioned it before, that run-heavy offense at Clayton Valley, grounded pounds, right? Now they're running the spread, throwing the ball all over the field. That's a weird thing to think of at Clayton Valley. Early on, their co-head coach, Tim Murphy, had said, maybe I was taking it too easy on these kids. And after they had that loss, I think that pushed them to 1-3. and three. He was – saying that he really just kind of told his kid, we got to figure this out. They have, right? They won five in a row. They're, they're now six and three. They top of that league again, three straight years. That's, that, that's a crazy feat to accomplish. And they've got the pieces to make this. If they don't win, at least very interesting, I think, against say LaSalle. Christian Aguilar is that quarterback with 21 touchdowns and just four interceptions over 2,400 yards. They've got a couple of good running backs in Micah Avery and Nicholas Kasabi. You've got those two offensive linemen. Richard McKay has got 61 offers. Manny Cerna's got that UMass offer. You've got a great receiving court. David Amos has 944 yards and 10 touchdowns. He's a junior, also junior Hank Pfeiffer. 635 yards, seven touchdowns, a Long Beach State baseball commit. Their defense is really good. Jake Dern, 78 tackles, three forced fumbles. Anthony Lucero's got seven tackles for loss. Josh Rodriguez, four picks. Charles Cox, two. They've had some injuries as well. Andrew Rodriguez got hurt earlier this season. Will Stallings, that Tennessee commit, moved back to the Bay Area from Bishop Gorman. He was at Pittsburgh, then went to Bishop Gorman. Now he's back in the Bay Area. Unfortunately, he barely played part of one game and got hurt. So they've 
devil stuff, but they've gotten hot. And it's a team that's coming in confident and hot is tough to beat. But also De La Salvo, too, has won three in a row. Yeah. They've they've they picked up some big wins during this stretch as well. And De La Salle six and three, and they've got the talent too. They've obviously got an offensive line, like always, right? But I mean, we freaking who they've always had that. Derek Thompson, the Cooper Powers, or D1 commits. You've got an All-American at tight end. You've got a Fresno State commit at running back. It's – I could see why it's a highly talented matchup. I think Clayton Valley makes it interesting. Do they win? Do you have a score prediction? De La Salle, 24. Clayton Valley, 21. Ooh, I have 28-26. That's my prediction. I and think who's gonna, winning? I think it's going to be De La Salle winning the game. It's going to be very close, like you said. I think both teams are really good. I do think that games like that always go to the – to the very end they're always very competitive and close but i do think that you see a de la salle winning at the end of the day that team is more i think equipped to win games in crunch time because they're just so used to that situation and they're so they're just so like they're so poised as a team and they've been on that stage so many times and i think when you have a game that's close the edge has to go to de la salle if you want to beat them you have to get them on their feet or you have to get them early on because they will pounce at the end when they know that they are in a close game. So I think De La Salle is going to take it. Now, what are the keys to the game for Clayton Valley? I think keys to the game, like I said, are getting on them early. You have a team like De La Salle, you have to get going early. You can't wait till the second half to really make your mark because that's when De La Salle is going to pounce. You have to start in the first quarter. You have to take them on early and you have to utilize, you have to get low because these guys are big. So if you're playing, let's say on, on the, especially if you're a defensive player on the on the line you have to get low and you have to utilize you have to utilize speed over size necessarily because you're playing a big team and i think the third key to the game is just making sure that you limit the big plays right you see de la salle they have a lot of playmakers on their team if you let them get going like i said it, it kind of goes hand in hand with number one right if you get going early and stop the big plays you can take them out of their element i think and it helps a lot so those are the three keys to the game for for clayton valley yeah i like that especially getting off to a good start that's yeah. the way teams have beat de la salle in the past especially yep. from southern california that's de the la biggest salle. thing too by the way yeah. that's the biggest thing especially for de la salle you have you have to score early make them work yes. if they don't have to work they will win the game yeah, they will because they, they run a style that's really going to grind you out throughout yeah. that whole game. And it's solid. Like you mentioned, that wears you down in the fourth quarter with the way they block, yep. the way they run that ball down your throat. They'll hit some big plays. They'll throw the ball a little bit. Of course, they will too when you've got a four-star tight end and you've, you've got some good receivers out there. But you've got to hit them early and make De La Salle get out of its game a little bit yeah. if you can do that. Yeah. And you've got to win the turnover battle. You can't give you can't have empty possessions and you can't have quick possessions in Stale especially with how fast Clayton Valley now runs with that spread and gets more plays off and has some quicker drives. You can't have empty possessions. And if you have empty possessions, they can't be three and outs, especially because then you just give De La Salle the ball right back and they just wear down your defense even more. Yeah. Now before we end the show, I want to do a play a quick a playoff outlook what do you think how do you think the playoffs are going to shape out what do you think it's going to be like who do you have i'd say let's say let's start with 
I guess, whatever league you want to start with. But let's do, you know, two, three leagues, quick playoff outlook. What do you think is going to – what do you think is – how do you think it's going to play out? So I will be in Marin County this weekend on Friday, and both of these teams I think will be favorites in their divisions. Marin Catholic plays at San Marin on Friday. Marin Catholic, I believe, will be the favorite in D4 again. They won last year. They won state last year. And San Marin's in D5. I think after winning state and D5 last year in NCS – they're the favorite again there in those divisions. And I'm glad you also asked this question, though, because this is something I had written down. The playoff implications of De La Salle and Clayton Valley. If De La Salle wins, it does, I don't think it shakes, I don't think it changes a whole lot. De La Salle and Pittsburgh are probably those top two teams for the open division. And now with the way the brackets work, if you lose the open division final, you get a chance to now play in the division one championship after. So this is if if this happens. And you play, it's De La Salle, Pittsburgh, I think, are the top two seeds. Clayton Valley's part of the top Division One seed. At that point, I would say, well, let's say Clayton Valley beats De La Salle. Now, how does the seeding go? Does Pitt get the top seed and Clayton Valley gets the two seed for the Open Division and De La Salle slides the D1? And now if you lose that game between Pitt and Clayton Valley, you've got to put De La Salle in the D1 championship. There's a lot of, it's strange how that goes. Either way, I think those three teams are the favorites in these divisions. De La Salle's won 29 straight NCS titles. Show me that they can't win for once, and then I will actually not make them the top dog. But Pittsburgh, I, especially with this being their head coaches last year, I know how much those players respect him. I know how much Rasheed Williams, Zach Carr, Jaden Rashad, all these guys respect him. I, I, Pittsburgh's a favorite. So I think they'll give De La Salle a good run this year. If not, they'll they'll win Division One. I, I think, too. It. Pittsburgh's one of those favorites. Camp Lindo's a favorite in D2. We've yeah. mentioned them before. Ranch Gatotti, unfortunately, their quarterback had the serious injury. I actually saw him Saturday at a game. He said he's doing well. He's actually was able to go back to school again. That's good news there. We'll see if he comes back and plays, but it's, I think it's good for everybody to know that Liam Keeney's doing okay because that was a scary hit he took. Good. Good. good on you. Liam for coming back stronger at school. Let's see. Hope you're on the field again. Um, but yeah, I think that uh that's a good playoff implication. Do we now do you think that in terms of state champion or in terms of state teams, teams that play in state for NorCal for the NCS section that we got, do you see um any teams that might be a surprise making a run at state this year? That's a very good question. Depending on the way things shake out, El Cerrito, I, I mean, maybe they haven't been to state, but that's I just watched them beat DeAnza 61 to nothing. They're, they've all had 44 points all season. They're the favorite in D3 right now. Them and Windsor it's teams that I really like. I think they could make runs both of those programs. Ranch Gatotti, I think, is another team that's a sleeper. Camp Lindo, obviously. I like Akalani's too with the weapons they have. Yep. McClyman's is McClyman's. St. Vincent DePaul, though. I think out in Petaluma is that team that could really make the next step. They made the NorCal Championship. It depends on how seedings work for a NorCal Championship where they get slotted. I think the St. Vincent Paul's got a team. They've got a staff that this year could make a run at state. I like what they have. Of course, the collision course to play St. Patrick. St. Vincent is also undefeated in NCS. It's going to be tough, but I like St. Vincent DePaul and what they've gotten. And Santa Marina Marin Catholic, like I mentioned, those are some of my favorites, at least right now from these other divisions. 
Well, there you go. There is the playoff implicate the, the playoff predictions for 2022. Let's see what happens. Let's see how close we are. But that's our show. And thank you. Thank you guys for tuning in and be sure to catch us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and we'll and we'll see you next time.